What's up, Fight Fan? You're listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. What's going on, all you cool cats and kittens? How are you guys surviving the quarantine very well? You are here with Gabriel Gonzalez. You can find me on social media at Double G on TV. And I'm joined by my co-host, Natalie Zamudio. Hello, good afternoon. Happy Tuesday. It's my mom's birthday. And uh, happy birthday, mom. Oh, when she hears this. When she hears this. <laughs> I've already told her happy birthday, by the way. She wouldn't be barely getting the message after <laughs> listening to this. <laughs> That's cute. Happy birthday, Mama Natalie. I hope you're enjoying the show. I hope you are doing well. And then Natalie is sending you pictures of your grandson frequently because that's Every what day. grandmas love. Yes. <laughs> No, um, Natalie, did the, did Carol Baskin kill her husband in the Tiger King documentary? <laughs> Dude, I haven't seen it yet. I'm, it's in the queue. I'm going to watch it. What else, so what else do you have going on right now? <laughs> like, well, a couple things, a couple things. <laughs> and you know, that's like the one thing it's like, oh, I haven't seen it. Like, why? No, really, why? <laughs> Literally, why? why? With like, all the time on earth that you have. For, no, any, but it's like for anything. <laughs> everybody's talking about it, and so I know, you know, we're we have to watch it, but we were um we're watching some other show called Devs on FX that's super cool. And uh but we're gonna get to it. It's there. Alright. Well you know what? When you're ready to join all us cool cats and kittens, <laughs> we'll we'll be ready for you. There's okay. room. All right, so there was some news, and we previewed it last week. So, um, you know, we look, we said it. This thing could go either way. It is that kind of situation right now with everything going on with uh, UFC 249. And as it happens, our show was on Wednesday night, and I believe the news dropped Thursday. So after all of the hype for Fight Island, the reservation somewhere on the West Coast, the news comes down, UFC 249 and all subsequent UFC events are canceled until further notice. Um, obviously, you know, the deck is going to be reshuffled when action finally resumes down the line. Um, Natalie, so by the accounts, Dana White was ready to go. He had a space that was on board with him to hold the event. The Fight Island was going to come together a couple weeks later. And pretty much from there, we were going to have fights. The word comes, the executives, high executives, not just like an intern somewhere, from ESPN and Disney, both said, hey, just, you know, essentially asked him to pull the plug. And that's, that was the end of that. Uh, there was obviously a lot of talk, why, how, what happened, how do we feel about it, so I'm going to just toss it to you as the news came down on Thursday. I believe I broke it to you. Um, what was your reaction? You did break it to me. and I'm I was sorry. Uh, <laughs> I was thoroughly disappointed when Dana White said the top of the top at Disney, like, that has to be Bob Iger, right, which is kind of ridiculous. Um, to have him or somebody in that in that at that level calling you from the UFC to tell you to not put on a fight, but like I texted you, I still believe this was a power move by uh, by our governor Gavin Newsom. You know, respect the guy, no issues with him, but I think this was kind of one of those. 
I'm not going to let California be in the news for this reason. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to stop this. Like, if, even if they tell me they can be as careful as, as, as possible, like, I'm not going to let this happen in my state and, and make all the headlines. So, you know, it's, it, it was ultimately it was just like a thousand times bigger than the UFC, the, this matter. Uh, and, uh, and, well, there we are. No fights. Yeah, um, one of the things that I came up with uh, early on is that if it, you know, if things fall apart, it's not from uh, lack of effort on Dana White. It's just, uh, you know, once again, a lot of the logistics and the business involved. It's not just about Dana, Endeavor, the UFC, you know, WME, everything else that you, you know, all their players involved. It's about a lot of bigger topics. Like, um, for one, uh, I agree with you. I do think that the sta- on the state level with politics, they were like, no, 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 no. We're, you're not going to, you know, we, we can see you're trying to circumvent the rules. And, you know, respectfully, even though, you know, like the politicians and everyone is working very hard to help everything, like everybody else, things are very different. News gets out. It's not, you know, there's not a lot going on. The fact that UFC is still trying to hold events kind of reaches a lot more people lately because it's one of the few things we have to focus on. So I really do believe, you know, that's one reason why it got to, you know, the governor, the senator, you know, the the politician's desk for one. Um, Secondly, uh, when you think about it, and um, I believe that this is really where Disney and everywhere else came in, you do not... You know, imagine if someone gets sick. The first thing that's going to happen after Dana White, well, ESPN seemed to have been okay with making money off of it. They didn't, they could have pulled the plug. They didn't. And look what happened. Someone got sick. Mm -hmm. Disney that owns ESPN, you know, it's just a ladder of people who are like, hey, you could have prevented this by saying, wait, just like all the other sports are. You did not. I think no one wanted that on their hands. I'd like to point out, um, even for the NBA, the NBA is being applauded. And, you know, for crying out loud, they've had several players get sick. You know, but it's the way they reacted to it. I think that, you know, a lot of these businesses, no one wants to take the risk of like, well, why are you rushing it and people get sick and we already, you know, I don't need to beat the dead horse about how dangerous this uh you know, the virus is, right? We're all seeing the news. So I do think that's what essentially it came down to was just the people involved were like, we just, it's too big of a risk that we don't want on our hands. When And, you know, I've said it enough times, the logistics of getting all the, quote, necessary, I'm going to say it again, necessary people to run a fight event. It's not just, you know, Tony Habib in Dana White's backyard and he broadcasts it on Instagram. You know, they need their cornermen. They need this and that. You're expecting a big fight, right? It was all of those things. And I think that's essentially why it shut down is that it was just immediately too much and no one really wanted to take the risk. And that's just how it happened. Yeah, it's a... um... I mean, it's a big bummer. I was thinking it, and I heard, and then Dana White mentioned it with his in his interview with Brett Okamoto. Like, okay, ESPN shut you down, but like, you still have Fight Pass, right? Go put it up on Fight Pass. But I think, um, I mean, he as much said he could have, but I think he just wanted to be a, a a good partner and not leave ESPN with a bad taste in their mouth because of the association, as you as you highlighted, right? So, oh, UFC, they have this deal with ESPN, owned by Disney now. 
in this instance, if they had put it up on Fight Pass, you could say, well, they did, you know, ESPN passed on, on airing this fight, but it's still a connection, still a connection that Disney does not want to have um, made with their giant, gigantic company. So there it is. No fights. <laughs> Try as he might. You know, I got to give, give him a pat on the back. Take my hat off to Dana White for giving it his all. It was interesting to read a little bit of a transcript from an interview Daniel Cormier did where he talks about the steps, the measures that were going to be taken for his safety, at least for, as a commentator, you know, straight from from his car to the hotel to get checked out, straight to, you know, the, uh, the octagon. And, and he and Rogan and Anik were going to be like on complete opposite ends of each other. So, so to maintain that social distance. So, you know, they had a lot of bases covered, but there were so many other concerns in the air that we don't know if they would have been able to, to handle. And I think I sent you the link. Uh, Luke Thomas had all these questions and, you know, they're completely fair questions. And I, I kind of feel like that, that interview, those questions might've gotten out too, because all of a sudden, man, you're talking about the, the government getting involved and Disney getting involved. People were getting nervous and, uh, and they put a stop to it right quick. Yeah, it's like I said, I think a lot of people just did not want me, you know, we are in a time that, you know, not to get too overly political, but how you react to this is honestly, I mean, you're talking about it's an election year, you're talking about a lot of different stuff. It impacts a lot of people. When life gets back to normal, people are remembering, you know, who made what decisions at this time. And I think, you know, like you said, with... Uh, yeah, Governor Newsom and the, just in California, they did not want, you know, to show like they were being negligent. Just as like, well, UFC is operating on tribal land. We're not involved. You know, the fact is it was in California. They did not want that there. Once again, uh, Disney, ESPN, they did not want that on there. And, um, you know, like we said, uh, and I've seen this, you know, with the media and all that. I think the media was just like, you know, like, dude, we don't want anybody getting sick, you know, and I think it comes from the people who, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, I don't know if necessarily even most of the media always is aware of exactly how many bodies are, quote, necessary. All those people octagon side, they're not just random people that are assigned there and happen to make it, you know, the very, very front row seat. You're talking about just by itself regulation, you have to have several judges, your cornermen have a spot there, you have a timekeeper who's supposed to be right there to signal, you know, especially with the bell for the t and everything, the 10 minute warning, all of that stuff, that's just automatically, you know, necessary to be a legalized official fight and not just, you know, exhibition or what have you, right? That's just that there. Then you start talking about the fighters. The referee. Now you want to talk about camera operators. Now you want to talk about the analysts, Rogan, DC. You know, there's so many bodies. And, you know, I think that's just all that we were asking and really highlighting is that, hey, there's so many people. And the MMA media is aware of all these people and why they are necessary. And, you know, I know, look, I wanted it. I'm supposed to be in New York right now, Natalie. My plan was scheduled to leave this morning for Brooklyn. I, I wanted these fights more than anybody. But, um, well, probably not, but you know what I mean. Um, 
Yeah, so it's rough, but I think ultimately, you know, just I want people to err on the side of caution because, I mean, I, you know, uh, condolences. Look at a NBA, Carl Anthony Towns, you know, the young man, you know, just lost his mother to coronavirus. And it's like, look, you know, this is this is a serious thing that's, you know, no one is immune. This is a kid who has the resources to get medicine and whatever for his mother. Millions of dollars being an all-star NBA player. It affects everybody. And, you know, so I do want people to err on the side of caution right now. Yeah, ultimately, like, you know, Dana White probably a little bit in the back of his head is like, well, okay, at least I don't have to worry about what if someone gets it on my watch. You know, I think a lot of this was driven by, like, ego and pride and, and just, like, you told me I couldn't do this, so like what? Let me show you how hard I'm going to do this in your face. But, again, a little bit of relief probably because now the pressure's off. However, what am I hearing today or reading about maybe something possibly in Florida? I don't know if you're up to up to date on this or not, but the, at least the WWE has clearance as an essential business now in Florida. I mean, I'm sorry, but I need to see some people talk about that on camera. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to just say this right now. I need someone to look the camera in the eye and tell me this. Um, Look, what WWE does behind closed doors is obviously their business and how they make it work. But, you know, look, they went back to live shows. I mean, um, whatever they're doing, they're doing it. And that, I think, for me was the hook because obviously it's like, man, maybe it is possible. Maybe we can have fights. Maybe we can get back to a little bit of normal. Um, look, I mean, all I'll say is this, I'm hoping they're staying safe, just like uh, everyone else is trying to, but yes, I did see that, and I'm a little, you know, that, uh, the Nick Young swaggy P meme with the question marks at his expression, <laughs> yeah, that, that's how I felt when I saw that. Uh, Natalie, a couple quick things, um, real quick, what do you think about this, Tony Ferguson says he's still gonna make weight at 155 on Friday. I think I'm not surprised because he's just that kind of man. And, you mean he's um, the type of you know, guy? The type, exactly, <laughs> the type of guy to, to make weight for a fight that's been canceled just to, just to show, just because. So it's typical Tony Ferguson and, and, and typical of nobody else. Nobody else would do it, just him. I like that Justin Gaethje pointed out. It's like, bro, you had like how many more days? I'm not doing it. <laughs> and it's like, you know, you know, Tony was probably like, yeah, that's all right. <laughs> you know, but um, no, I mean, I imagine that's part of how he processes it. It's like, man, like I could either sulk or I got all this energy. I need to let it out on something and just do my road work. So I think that's a sign. I just, I, I thought of him because it's like, if anything... He is the one who stayed in California. And yeah, Habib, you got to think he feels a sort of way too this week. But, you know, Tony was the one that's like, dude, like how many rings did I successfully jump through before this happened? You know, so yeah, I felt for him. But when I read that, I was like, yeah, he's the type of guy to do that. That's for sure. Yeah. The final thing before we're going to do a little bit of a throwback for you guys. Um, Dana White saying the fight island could still be running in a month and that they will still reevaluate, but he said, hey, you know, we could do fights here. What did you think of that? I mean, I'm excited, man. Like, whatever island, it's probably some kind of beautiful Caribbean island. 
And if you have, you know, I don't know what the rules are on, on such an island, like, like, you know, governing rules, but if probably there are none or else you wouldn't be able to put this fight on, what you, what you, um, hope is that there isn't like a, a population living there that could be put at risk to COVID or something else because of, of the entrance of the UFC, but just seems like a beautiful place to, to have a fight. I can just picture an octagon with the ocean behind it, no crowd, and just two people going at it. You know, my, uh, my sister, Valentina Shevchenko is already volunteering <laughs> to go there to train, to, to live there for a little bit. So, I mean, fly me to Fight Island. Let's go. Did you see Uriah Faber and his buddies all talking about it and she felt the need to respond on social media? I saw, I saw uh, someone wrote up her response. So I didn't realize what she was responding, reacting to. They're saying she's like the perfect candidate to get us all onto Fight Island. And then she, <laughs> she retweeted with a comment saying, but I'm not a spy. <laughs> but it's good come comedy. On, I mean, I would say I was not a I mean, of course you're going to say you're not a spy. Like wink, spy. wink, <laughs> wink, yeah. wink, nudge, nudge. That's what you're saying. Look, every time I see one of those Instagram photographs of her in like a... In a, in a you know in a gangster outfit with a Tommy gun on an old car or doing her tambourine dance. I mean it's just all signs point to spy. I love her. I hope no one's listening from from the spy world. But like, <laughs> come on guys, no human is that complete. No human is that complete. I I still think she's our dream guest for MMA Daily. I don't think you know. Like I don't even know what we'd ask. We just have so many questions. For I would Valentina. just be laughing the whole time, like a dork, and be like, oh, "I love you." <laughs> it's okay. It's pretty much it yeah. happens to all of us. When, <laughs> when I get the Valentina Shevchenko exclusive, I'll make sure, like, I send you a video. Yeah, yeah. Just let <laughs> me make, listen. I'll in. make sure she shouts you out, <laughs> and <laughs> then I'll great. apologize to your husband because you died of shock. <laughs> yep. No, but, um, you know, with the Fight Island thing, um, th the same way I felt about 249, I like the idea on paper, it sounds freaking awesome, some Mortal Kombat or Bruce Lee Enter the Dragon kind of stuff, I, I dig it, I'm gonna just say right now, logistically, I feel like it has the same problems the Indian Reservation does, and also you're talking about, does it have a hospital? Because yeah, of course. you don't want these guys to go in and just take each other down and hold there. You're hoping for them to stand and bang and what happens? Cuts, bruises, and other things that require a doctor. So I'm going to just put that asterisk on there. It's like, guys, uh, don't buy your boat ticket to the island just yet. There is a couple more questions I have before I can say that this, you know, I want to see fights. I do not want to be given fights and then they are taken away immediately. I think that would just be more cruel torture to everybody involved, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I think the hospital thing is, is probably why Dana White was with Okamoto, Brett Okamoto, saying like, oh, you know, we'll, we'll have, we can have fighters training there right away and sort of pivoting on having fights and turning it into more of a, a training facility during this pandemic because there's probably a lot more that maybe he didn't consider or that now that it's out, everything's under the light that everybody knows about that he can't get away with shoving under the brushing under the rug and sweeping under the rug. I mean, I'll say this for Dana. Worst case scenario, you got a private Island. Everyone's quarantined. Grab your private plane, take the cabana and just hang out. I mean, yeah, you man. know, it can't be the, Hey, that sounds like a pretty good, you know, worst case scenario. If you ask me, 
Yeah, Dana White should go there, set up a big TV, and live stream himself watching like old UFC fights or or something or interviewing people. I don't know. Have some do something fun. Have something. <laughs> creative going on and have okay. them have them do like a spinning wheel like okay like Cejudo we're gonna spin the wheel for your next opponent and you have <laughs> Aldo Jan Faber Cruz Garbrandt and just <laughs> and then it's like oh okay you're fighting Cody <laughs> I mean let's have some fun with it you know as well okay but I do have a serious question for you actually sure. if you don't mind mm-hmm. Dana White mentioned that he would be paying Everyone who was, as he put it, willing to fight at UFC 249. Mm-hmm. Do you think that includes Rose Namajunas, who pulled out days before due to a serious reason, right? Some of her relatives passed away from COVID-19. You know, so with that, um, I listened to Daniel Cormier and he said, look, I, they don't broadcast it a lot. And I think that's part of the narrative. UFC takes care of a lot more people than I, most of the public realizes, you know, DC doesn't have a reason to lie and cut corners and all that. I know that's the narrative of, like, UFC compared to when you see Bellator out there. I do believe that, you know, people are getting taken care of, plain and simple. And that, you know what? I do believe that inclu- includes Rose. I think that's a completely valid reason, and I think UFC understands that. Yeah, I think so, too. Uh, you know, before the, the Endeavor purchase... It was pretty clear that, you know, I should say Dana was not shy about saying when he was cutting extra checks for fighters. It doesn't say that anymore, but it's good to know. I believe DC as well. It's good to know that that still seems to be going on. Yeah, that's, um, that's how I feel about it. And look, I can't look like everybody else. Rent is still due. I know fighters, you know, part of these, you know, that's a big part of your income is looking forward to that couple thousand, you know, in intervals throughout the year if you're not hurt. So, yeah, it becomes quite a lot. But I do hope that everyone who needs to be taken care of is getting taken care of, plain and simple. Yeah. Well, guys, we could let you go and just have a very depressing episode about how we almost (laughs) got fights and... Now we don't, and now we're just going to twiddle our thumbs until the Tiger King Part 2, Joe Exotic's return from jail. Or we could actually have some fun, and we could take you guys back down memory lane and hang out for a bit with us. So that's what we're going to do. This time, I got to pick out the fight card. I'm going to have a little caveat at the end, just for the next one. But I decided, and this one I'd had on the docket for a while. This is... um. You know what, I will say it is my favorite entire event to discuss from top to bottom. There are a lot of big events that I really like. Um, One, uh, I can't remember the number, but Silva Belfort was one of them that we brought up the first week of the quarantine. Um, There are a lot of other ones that I'm sure we could talk about with famous wars and bangers. But I argue, and I always feel like I win, when I argue that this fight card is the best that the UFC has ever put on. It just doesn't get as much love. And that's UFC 200. It was an international fight week. It was, I want to say, a 2016... Yes, July 2016. Um, Just to... Not for nothing, but if you watch my videos, a lot of people probably see the 100 poster, you know, especially in my, my IG lives. I have the 200 right next to it on the other wall. I think this card was that good. Natalie, let's go back in time. 
So, if you'll remember about UFC 200, besides the fact that it was immensely loaded, there was so much stuff that happened in the months and in the weeks leading up to it that believe it or not, even though it's so stacked as a final product, it was it had even more big action. So, to break it down, the big one is that it was originally going to be headlined by the rematch between Conor and Nate Diaz. You guys remember, like a couple months earlier, Nate Diaz, 11 days notice, you know, shocks everybody, chokes out Connor, who is just coming off the knockout of Jose Aldo, um, becomes a household name that he's still headlining pay-per-views, even though he's hardly fought since then, you know, until recently. So that fight was supposed to headline it. That main event fell through because Dana White pulled Connor because Connor did not want to fly to Vegas to do a press conference two months out from the fight. And so Connor was removed from UFC 200. And that became quite a story itself. You guys will remember he also had that retirement. Thanks for the cheese and all that. Uh, Natalie, do you remember that one? And what was your reaction back in the day? Of course I remember. And uh, shock was probably the first reaction that Dana White was, you know, it was a game of chicken. And Dana White was was uh, was not going to blink, and he was willing to yank his biggest star from the biggest card just to prove that he wasn't going that he was he was in charge. He had the last word. So I, I was really sh- surprised by that and disappointed to lose the fight. But as you pointed out, you know, before we even got to fight night, this card was still looking really good, even despite the loss of McGregor Diaz. Yeah, because, you know, they went with Plan B, which was still awesome. You had the rematch, the first one, between Daniel Cormier and John Jones. This is after John Jones had, you know, been away for more than a year. You guys remember there was the the drug use, that he needed the rehab, the, um, you know, just all of his outside-the-octagon legal troubles. He was back earlier in the year. He won the interim belt. He beat Ovin St. Prue. And everybody was like, all right, you know, it's on. DC was coming off wins over Gust. No, I believe. I want to say he hadn't fought Gustafson yet, but he'd beaten Rumble Johnson for the belt since then. Yeah, and so pretty much this was like, okay, you know, people were ready for this one. You get rolling. They have a press conference that week and everything. All signs are saying this is all systems go. Wednesday night, or it might have even been Thursday night, if I'm not mistaken. The news comes. John Jones tests positive. He is out of the fight with Daniel Cormier. Um, this one, I, I still remember, shocked everybody because it's like, okay, this is the fight. Everything that had happened with John Jones outside the octagon, obviously going on. And then this happens. Um, I actually rewatched it. I don't know if you remember it. The UFC Embedded, where they yep. actually play the moment where Dana White tells DC, and he just slams his foot to the ground. He's just like, he can't believe it. Dana White, you know, can visibly tell, like, dude, I can't believe I have to break this news to you. Uh, DC is even saying, dude, like, I'll sign a release and we can just fight. And it was just, um, wow. And I, I still remember because then there was the press conference, John Jones, clearly emotional. It was just, um, I will say this. I think that that was one of the most memorable things from that fight week is that he, John Jones really did look defeated. 
in that moment and you really didn't know what was going to go on or what happened with his career from there but it was a bad moment what was your reaction yeah as you were as you were setting this up right now this this um catastrophe really for for UFC 200 as you were setting it up I was immediately my mind took me to that embedded scene where DC's sitting in that like darkened hallway and Dana White's talking to him and the foot exactly as you said dude it was it was shocking I believe I was at a like at a Mexican restaurant picking up some tortas and I looked at my phone and I was like what oh my goodness I couldn't believe it so it's one of those like you actually I actually remember where I was when when I got the news, um, just just ridiculous. It's one of those head shakers like not again. And unfortunately, with with John Jones, you have that moment. We were going to have that moment a few more times, and just had another one of those. Really seriously, not again. Why does this keep happening? Um, at least at this in this latest one, it didn't it didn't derail a fight. But this was truly heartbreaking for, for DC. And who knows what, it would, what, it, what the outcome would have been had they actually fought that night uh, on, uh, on you know, the night of UFC 200. But it was just another, another round of you know, having to sift through the wreckage of a John Jones you know, poor decision. And the press conference actually forgot about that. And uh, so you reminded me there that, yeah, that was interesting. I didn't really have any sympathy for him, even though he looked pretty, pretty beleaguered, defeated. It was just one of those things where you can't believe it, not only because it's two days before a fight, but it's this, this fight card that had been hyped up for so long. This was such a big moment for the UFC, UFC 200. And they just lost another headliner. It was unbelievable. I always say that um, if you remember, there was a bit of a shift with the fan base with John Jones around this time because obviously, you know, I think people understood. It's like, look, how young was he when he won the title and, you know, getting into trouble? That was one thing. But this was really one of those steps that kind of shifted. And I always talk about this is that for a long time, there was a bit of almost like this hate on Daniel Cormier. For the simple fact that, you know, he would say, like, look, I'm here, I'm winning the fights, I'm the champion, I'm the best. Well, you remember, John Jones handled the first fight with DC, no controversy, um, pretty handedly. And so, you know, the when you had DC out there saying these things, you know, it would kind of cause that split. It really wasn't completed until about a year or two later when they had the... Uh, finally had the rematch and John Jones tested positive that they had a complete shift but it was at this point that people were like you know that's where things changed for both DC and John because now it's like well you know DC is the one who's actually showing up and winning fights John Jones you know for one reason or another he's not competing it's hard to you know to have that when you're not getting out there and doing your thing, you know, like as you're supposed to be doing, right? So I always remember that. And I think that John Jones felt that. I think you could see that in the press conference and everything else. And um, it's just a mo- one of those weird moments. Like you couldn't believe it. Like it felt like, you know, after a year off and everything else, okay, you know, the 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 hard work did pay off. He's a little more focused now. You know, whatever happened, you know, with that test, I can't remember if he, um, if it was tainted supplement or not, 
But after, you know, the recent picogram incident, it just seemed to be the pattern, right? And that was always very unfortunate. But yeah, that fight happened. Connecting it to our first story, you'll remember that they had a whole press conference for McGregor Diaz 2 that week. And so they're asking Connor essentially 12 hours later, like, what's your reaction to the news? And obviously, because it was supposed to be the headliner for UFC 200, Connor did admit it's like, look, it would be very easy for me to say, like, well, 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 what do we have going on here? But he did take the high road and he did, um, you know, he did express like just condolence for John and hope that he gets everything back together. And I always remember that it's like, dude, line up all the pieces. You cannot believe how everything is falling. Yeah, it was crazy. In fact, uh, yeah, that's right. I remember thinking like (laughs) the same thing, which is like, he's here. Like they could have just had them still fight. Like, why did they... You know, why did Dana, I mean, I get why he did it, but, you know, Dana White, how, why did he have to pull that original main event? But whatever. It is what it is. <laughs> I mean, who saw that coming? Which adds for the final twist on 48 hours notice. That's right. The myth, the legend. He's there to sign autographs at the Fan Expo. Instead, he's suiting up and on less than two days notice, Anderson Silva is fighting <laughs> Daniel Cormier. <laughs> Dude, couldn't believe it. But I loved every second. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Loved every second uh, of that decision. Just like, what? This is legit. This is, you know. I'm sorry, but in terms of a consolation prize, that was pretty freaking awesome. Yeah, that that matchup only exists in the video game, like literally, (laughs) because no no matchmaker uh, on you know terrestrial matchmaker (laughs) would have put that together. But but I remember from that from that is Silva Anderson Silva weighing in and like didn't he eat like a slice of pizza the day before like he was like just eating he was he didn't even care about making weight he was wearing sweats like he was just there you know just there because they asked him to be there but he wasn't trying to you know change his diet or you know try to eat less less more you know less refined carbs like I'm pretty sure he was eating pizza like right after he weighed in. That's how good Anderson Silva is, man. Off the couch, and he still went three rounds of DC on yeah. two days' notice. Like, li- about as rest as you could get besides James Krause a um, couple months ago with uh, the 24-hour notice. But, man, I couldn't believe it. And, like, I, I remember, though, being disappointed. That I, the fight for me was not very exciting because and, – and DC said it. He's like, I got one kick from Silva in the stomach, and I was like, oh, no, we're not doing this. And so he took him down and held him down, and so it wasn't a very exciting fight. The, the promise of what it could have been was, was much more thrilling than the outcome, but it's still a crazy story. It's an incredible story. DC, DC didn't want to strike with Anderson. Who would? Nah, who, he didn't who, want who to. Who thinks it's like, oh, yeah, I'm just, he's on the couch. I'm going to bang with him. Man, his coach would have smacked him. Shoot, freaking Habib. I don't think Habib was anything yet. Would have gotten up in there and smacked him. Like, what were you thinking? Yeah, Striking with Anderson Silva. Of course it would have been. <laughs> But no, but uh, yeah, so that happens, and which gets us to the lineup. What did happen at UFC 200? Uh, let's start from the top. So in the main event, you had Amanda Nunes taking on Misha Tate. Not for nothing, but remember Misha was coming off an epic five-rounder with Holly Holm. From the brink of defeat, comes back to choke Holly unconscious to win the title. Remember that this fight only came together because the Ronda Rousey-Holly rematch. 
didn't come to fruition. Ronda didn't take it. Holly wanted to fight somebody. Um, and Misha Tate gets her moment to win UFC gold. Now Amanda, she was coming off this win over this one chick no one really knew about <laughs> yet named Valentina Shevchenko. Gets the win, comes into the fight with Misha. And I think here's the most shocking thing about it is that Amanda wasn't a big deal yet. And by all accounts, even after what Holly did, most people saw Misha as being no less than the second best women's bantamweight in the UFC in the world going into the fight. And obviously she gets the win over Holly. The only person really who's been her is Ronda and Kat Zingano. So this fight was supposed to be at least a knockdown drag out, even if it's close, right? And Amanda Nunes goes in there and just gives her the business. This was just one of those beatdowns. Not the Ronda Rousey level one, but this was a all systems go for Amanda. Yeah, I mean, the, the Amanda Nunes power was on full display. The, the whipping punches that catch you at the very end of a fist, and they hurt, and you can tell they hurt, and Misha Tate, for as tough as she is, and we know she's tough as heck, she was in retreat pretty early on, like literally moving backwards, or kind of running backwards to get away from the power. Her nose swelled, was broken almost immediately, and she just, you know, she got hit hard enough that she couldn't move anymore, but she could still keep her hands up, and that wasn't enough to protect her, and, and Nunez was just kind of teeing off on her. Once Misha Tate lost her footing from the blows, you know, there we go. Amanda Nunez taps her out. And, like, you know, we didn't know what the future would hold for Misha Tate at that point, but I don't think any of us realized that she was she was very close to retirement, right? I think, was, was it just Raquel Pennington after that, and then she was done, I think? Yep. Um, so it was, it was really shocking. But going back to how she got the belt, that's one of my favorite, all-time favorite victories in, in, in the UFC uh, history of the UFC is is Hermisha Tate's win over Holly Holm because it was going full five rounds. She was losing and she just didn't quit. She says like a dog on the bone. She took her down. She hung on for all her life. You can see it when she chokes her out that she's giving it everything she has and Holly Holm doesn't tap. She just starts punching the air like like death punches her final last you know act as as a human being living on this earth before she went out. It was incredible. It was it was pure primal between the two of them. So, so that victory was amazing and it sucked for me to see Tate lose the belt immediately. But that period of time from Ronda to Nunes was, was, is really interesting, exciting history in the bantamweight division for the women, right? The way Ronda lost the belt, the way Holly lost the belt, the way Misha Tate lost the belt. And then Nunes, just the, her trajectory just keeps climbing. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody saw what happened next. I think that, you know, when you talk about, what was it, late 2015, and you have all these players who are rising and already established, like Ronda, Misha, now you're going to have Holly, you have Amanda rising, Valentina Shevchenko after that kind of went on her run and grew into the star we kind of know today a little bit. And then what happens, you know, you have this period of just, drop in terms of turnover Rhonda leaves the picture Misha leaves the picture Holly's kind of struggling a bit and she's doing her thing at 145 and I always say this is that like when you look at it from the outside 135 just really was so much struggling for depth that it wasn't until Amanda moved up and got that win over Chris Cyborg 
that I think a lot of people give her the credit. It's like, hey, it's not, you know, she's not on top because it's just this slow time at Bantamweight. She's on top because he, she's legit one of the baddest women you've ever seen. Yeah. And the UFC 200 win, I mean, that was kind of the start. I mean, yeah, obviously she'd rebuilt herself after losing to Katzingano. But, you know, this was really her coming out party, right? It wasn't a close fight like the she- first Shevchenko fight. This was her really coming into her own as, you know, more or less the killer that we know today. Yeah, pretty much. It was it was definitely the departure, the upward, you know, the departure upward trajectory there for Nunes. Um, one other note, because I forgot they were they were a couple and I forgot all about it. But seeing Brian Caraway there, I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> they used to be a thing. Misha Tate and Brian Caraway. Good times, right? <laughs> <laughs> Remember when the people were just all around that dude? Yep. People, uh, you know, it's kind of like uh, Paige Van Sant and her husband, you know, like, guys, you just got to let it go that he's the one who got the spot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, know, I, you know, I will say just based on, hmm, it, it, they, they match more, I'll say that. Paige and, and Brandon, right? That's the name? Austin. Austin Vanderford, yeah, yeah. right. They match more than Misha and Brian. I'll say that. <laughs> I mean, I think they need a cooler with their Instagram. It's not. Yeah, that naked stuff is. <laughs> it's, it makes me uncomfortable. Who's, who's, who's <laughs> taking all those pictures? Is what I want to know. It makes me uncomfortable, man. Yeah. Like I kind of like I know you're married, but I want you to social distance a bit. <laughs> I just that's all I can say. Anyway, but um, y- y- y'all kick butt though. Um, you know, don't hurt me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Natalie, can you believe that? Okay. With all of the shakeups, with losing the John Jones fight, with the shakeup with the title fights, there's only one guy who, besides the fact that another belt was on the line, he would get the co-main event. And this one, out of nowhere, like a month and a half, maybe a month and change out, they announced this fight. Brock Lesnar coming back to face Mark Hunt at UFC 200. Brock hadn't fought in about, like, what, two, almost three years. Um, He was back in WWE, the UFC thing, you know. I think it's safe to say that he hadn't exactly evolved his skills to keep up with the guys at the time. But he was coming back for a special showcase against, easily, one of the best knockout artists, who, quite frankly, is not known for his ground game. It was just on paper, very simple, either... Mark Hunt was going to drop the hammer or Brock Lesnar was going to get a hold of him. And just the circumstances of the fight, let me toss it to you. What did you think of everything pre-fight and then obviously the action? Pre-fight, my first, like the first memory that gets triggered is the, the I guess, uh, scandal you could call it with with the Ariel Helwani and breaking the news yep. around at UFC 199, right? Getting booted from, from the event. For, for breaking the news that Brock Lesnar was going to fight at UFC 200. He, he broke the news like, I don't know, 30 minutes before the UFC was going to announce it at that show or something like that. It was just close proximity and uh, infuriated the powers that be at the UFC, including Dana White. And he got booted and other folks from MMA fighting got booted from the event and were essentially banned from all UFC events, right? And then I think um, Vox had to inter- intervene there. Yeah. So I always think of that first because 
I was regularly watching MMA, the MMA hour at that time. And I remember his, you know, post fight episode where he's kind of crying on the mic and talking about how this was really disappointing, blah, blah, blah. So obviously they all, I wouldn't say they made amends, but he's back on, he's been back on and everything's fine, at least for him. Uh, the other thing that, that I remember is, is uh, Brock Lesnar saying to the media, you know, I'm white and I'm jacked, deal with it in response to his questions about his physique and, and, and the whole USADA, uh, I guess, skipping the line at the USADA, at the, at the USADA queue. Um, and then, and then Mark Hunt and how he reacted after, after the fight was over, you know, um, you know, because some, some interesting news came out about Brock Lesnar. Yeah, we'll get into that. Don't worry. Yep. Uh, I always remember that fight. I, I will say this, and um, it was lessened by the aftermath, to, be, to put it nicely. Uh, I was impressed with Brock Lesnar in the first round because, quite bluntly, uh, Mark Hunt had a... Uh, he did touch him up a bit. And this is Mark Hunt. This is a guy who knocks out, you know, Roy Nelson and guys who don't normally go down for anything. And he just went out there, he put some hands on Brock, bruised him up a bit. And I, I said it many times that Brock Lesnar does not like to get hit. And for all that, you know, yes, he's big and he's jacked and he's one of the be best physical specimens we've seen in MMA. He, you know, absolutely just stuff went out the window when people would touch him. And that was very clear in a lot of his fights. So I said, look... Mark Hunt probably going to hurt him a little bit before Brock even gets a successful takedown, and that's going to be a wrap. To his credit, Brock Lesnar took him, and he kept fighting, kept pushing. I was very impressed. I would say it's one of the best Brock Lesnar fights that you'll actually find out there in terms of his resilience. And he got on top, did, the, did his work, and he took home that unanimous decision at first. And people, are you coming back? Are you going to do WWE and UFC, XYZ? And the news comes out. Um, I, can I say it, please, Natalie? Yes, yes. The guy was a, probably more juiced than a rocket ship. <laughs> <laughs> they just seriously said, you know, you know, they, I forget what it was, but just quite bluntly, they were like, yeah, that's about as roided as you could get. And it's like, oh, my gosh, Brock. Brock, you know. I mean, are we surprised? Was anybody surprised? <laughs> I mean, I guess we didn't want to believe it was that bad. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, so it was like, ah, you know. But uh, look, he was there to put on a showcase, and he did. I do, I do remember Mark Hunt being upset with UFC for a long time about that, and I, I think that's fair. Yeah, but, he um, sued them, right? I mean, he sued the UFC. <laughs> It was a long story, man, but it was like, yeah, that uh, that happened. But in the moment, it was a lot of fun. That it, he added to the star power of the night, and I think yeah, it was did. exciting. I'd never seen him fight before, and 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 uh, when I saw, yeah, his physique, he's a specimen for sure. And for as big as he is, man, he can still bounce around on those toes, still agile, still a quick dude. So it was impressive to see someone that large move that well. And, uh, but, but for me, it was like, not, a, not the, not a, the expectation was so high. The fight did not live up to that, but you know, whatever, that's often the case with, with fights that are highly anticipated. Um, and, and poor Mark Hunt was, yeah, so angry after that. But I think like, okay, you had to know he was juicing. Like you can't be that angry because you had to have known now, whatever. I mean, the UFC 
just it's like it's, it's the double standard. I think that was probably more infuriating. But there's no way he didn't know he was fighting someone that was that was juiced to the gills. What I remember is I think he was on Helwani's show that he, he kept saying, "Oh, I can't. I won't do the accent." But he kept saying that that Brock Lesnar was just injecting himself in the poo shooter. <laughs> And I was like, oh, my God. And he just kept saying it, poo shooter, poo shooter, over and over again. So that was one of my, my, my memories of that fight. Of that it, was quite, it was quite something, wasn't it? It was. No, but, um, yeah, so uh, Natalie, I mean, this that was the top two fights. And look at everything we went through to get there. Um, before we talk about anything else, I just want to go in depth on the stuff we won't go, you know, the fights we won't break down. I mean... Daniel Cormier comes in, uh, pretty much just has a grappling match with Anderson Silva and handles business. Anderson did have a brief moment late in the third, but, you know, ask anybody, that was always too little too late. But once again, you had a legend step up and you had a legend in the making handle business. I think that for all the, for everything that happened, the fact that DC got the win the way he did was about as good as you were going to get under the circumstances, so... I was impressed with that. Uh, for the interim featherweight title, you had Jose Aldo take out Frankie Edgar. Nobody talks about this fight, but it might be the best Jose Aldo fight that's out there. Um, if you remember, Frankie Edgar was on it. He was in shape. He was sharp. He pushed him to the limit. But that might be the most technically brilliant Jose Aldo you've seen. He was hitting all the slips, all the moves, counters. Everything was sharp. Beautiful performance from Jose Aldo. Uh, in the heavyweight division, Kane Velasquez, Travis Brown. Great return for Kane. We're going to actually go back to that one. But just on the prelims, Juliana Pena outgrappled Kat Zingano. People thought that was crazy that night. Remember, Kat had fought for the title. Kelvin Gastelum defeats Johnny Hendricks. Johnny is only like a fighter to remove from the title, so this was huge for Kelvin. TJ Dillashaw, Rafael Asuncao, Bantamweight title eliminator, and it's not even the headliner on Fox Sports 1 prelims. Sage yeah. Northcutt, um, he had only lost once before then. You had some OGs, Joe Lozon and Diego Sanchez. They don't even make TV. They're on Fight Pass. And, you know, you had a guy by the name of Gegard Musasi taking on another guy you might have heard of on Tiago Santos. That didn't even make TV. And, oh, they opened the night with a gamer, Jim Miller, against uh, legend Takanori Gomi. You're telling me there are other cards that were more stacked? <laughs> it was pretty stacked, but honestly, my 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 recollection of, of how I felt when that entire card ended was, man, they really hyped this thing, but it, it did for me. It didn't live up to it. Like, the <gasps> names were still great on paper, but the individual fights, like, you know, some of them were really good, some of them were okay, and some of them were, like, kind of boring. That's how I felt. It was a mixed bag, wasn't it? Yeah, indeed. It, it was quite the, uh, uh how do I put it? Because I do remember, like, for all that action, did I get out of my seat enough? There were nope. a lot of people who did good work. Seriously, go watch Jose Aldo, Frankie Edgar. That's a fucking beautiful fight. <laughs> 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 but, um, no, it, it really was... uh I do remember, because of the way the Brock Lesnar fight went, the Daniel Cormier fight went, I think that the win got taken out of the sails as we got to, you know, Amanda versus Misha. But on paper, 
tell me another card that's actually had that much talent. Like from the prelims, early prelims to the main event. Yeah, that's correct. If you if you even it, it would it would look even more impressive if you broke up the matchups and just listed them alphabetically. It would be like, wow, all these people were on the same card at once. Where it loses its steam is when you match them up and then you actually watch some of the fights. So, so you know, it holds up in some ways more better than others, but but what you're pointing out about the Brock and Cormier Anderson, you know, Mark Hunt fights, yeah. They kind of took the they kind of took their feet off the gas pedals there. And then you have your main event, and the darling of the UFC, Misha Tate, loses her belt. And it's just like, that's how you're going to leave this fight card? Like, just kind of, it was a little bit of a bummer at the end. It was just quite a lot. It was just a really, really long event. But I do remember, you know, like, dude, if you look at them today, like if they had the rankings out, you're talking about, you know, half the card is like top five top you know top 10 ranked and everybody else is like a familiar name you yeah. don't you do not get fight cards like that anymore you don't get pay-per-views like that anymore to be honest but that is how good 200 was um let's talk about some notable action in the on the main card this one was a great one to open up the main card in my opinion kane velasquez travis brown kane hadn't fought since losing to verdum i think he'd been out like Maybe close to two years at the time. He comes in and just smokes Travis Brown, who'd proven himself as a top contender. And really, even when you thought, okay, well, this is a, you know, Kane's wrestling and all that. And man, the fight plays out the way it did. Give me your thoughts. Yeah, for me, the, the big question is, is, dude, what happened to Travis Brown? Like, he used to be so good and the Travis Brown elbows and he was... This amazing prospect, tall, rangy, great physique, yellow tattoos from Hawaii. Like, there's so many ways you could package him and push him towards, you know, heavyweight stardom. And then he just stopped. Like, it's not, he didn't just stop being good. He, like, started regressing almost is, is how I remember it. And, you know, you can attribute it to personal things outside of the cage or not. We have no idea, but there's plenty of, of uh, material there to make a case. But for me, it's always like, what happened to this guy? He was going to be so good and then stopped being good and then just walked away. And on the, on the flip side of that, Cain Velasquez looked amazing. He's throwing these spinning wheel kicks. But then he, doesn't, he injures himself again, another long layoff comes back to fight Francis Ngannou, loses, and then that's it. He's doing wrestling, professional wrestling. So very interesting, um, you know, life or trajectories for both of these guys after UFC 200. I remember watching this fight, and if you remember just like Cain Velasquez is doing wheel kicks, mm-hmm. I would argue physically that's the best he looked besides the trilogy with JDS. You remember yeah. Cain Velasquez isn't a six-pack kind of guy. He looked freaking lean for the fight with incredible. Travis Brown. Yeah. yeah, so, you know, he was clearly physically looked ready to go. You know, I'm not going to lie. He looked pretty good for the Francis Ngannou fight. That one made me feel like, hey, we might have him back for real. Um, but, yeah, he just was on point the entire night against Travis. Really just beat him down, knocked him out. Um, one of the best performances of his career. And Natalie, if you tell me that was going to be the final victory 
of Cain Velasquez's UFC career, possibly MMA career, I would not have believed you. Nope. I literally still can't believe to this time Cain never got another win after that. That is how crazy that is when I think about it big picture. It's unreal. And, and you know, <laughs> what do you, what, you know, the, the fight with Nganu, he got caught and like his knee, like something weird happened with his knee, right? So he never even got a chance to get in there and have a proper fight. So we don't know how he would have looked, how he would have performed, but as you said, he looked great. And then you see him doing these crazy acrobatics in the, in the wrestling world. So, you know, it seems like his body's okay. His body's in shape, can handle the, the hits. But whatever, I guess he's moved on with his life. I mean, uh, I've said it, and we've talked about this before on the show, is that I did always think that um, I thought that he would have had an epic series of fights with Stipe Miocic. I think that would have been awesome. I do believe he would have gotten more title defenses. I do think that he would have really etched his name. And, you know, it's kind of like Dominic Cruz, right? Had he not gotten hurt, how good would he really be? We'll never know. But I will say this. When you watch that fight back with um, with Travis, how can you really think that, you know, that was the last time, that was the last one? I can't believe it. I still no, can't believe it. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, but um, no, that was a big night, and I think it really excited a lot of people. Um, on the prelims, early prelims, this didn't earn a spot on TV somehow. You tell me that happens today, I'll tell you, you really need to see, you should not be working in MMA. Gegard Musasi before the Bellator title, Tiago Santos before 20 pounds of pure muscle, if you look at him in this fight. Middleweight clash. Gago Musasi takes him on. Why did you want to watch this fight? Because you picked this one out. I did, and I wanted to watch it because of what happened afterwards with their careers from that, you know, 2016 onward. And um, as you said, Gegard went off, went on to Bellator, became a champion. But Tiago had a very successful career. First of all, this was middleweight Tiago, right? Yeah. And this was before the Thor tattoo on his on his chest. So it's like this guy's still coming up. He'd already had a bunch of knockouts under his belt. And he looked jacked, but not like 2020 jacked, the way you know he is now. And uh, it, was, it was just interesting to me to see at this epic fight card where these two guys were that were going to go on to continue rising in the, in the world of MMA. And, and it ultimately was a, was a good fight. Gegard put on an excellent performance with a wicked, wicked KO. That now, if you, I, I didn't even remember that this had happened. So that's why I was like, Gegard beat Tiago Santos. If you were to ask somebody, they, they would have to, you know, take a second to dig back into the old memory bank to remember that, yeah, that's right. Gegard Musasi knocked out Tiago Santos not that long ago. I mean, it was just quite the performance. And really, Musasi looked so good. He really brought it. I think that he just did it, work in that one. Um, Tiago just, uh, I will say this, when you look at him at 185 and look what he's done at 205, you could really tell that he was really depleting his body. I mean, he was explosive, he was powerful, but you could tell everything just works better for him at light heavyweight. And I know that's saying a lot because look how big some light heavyweights are. He matches up physically. And I think that this is just a good proof of why that move had to be made. Gegard Musasi. 
this is one of those fights that gets overlooked, but really, when you look at his body of work, the way he handled Tiago Santos is the reason why a lot of people still feel that he has an argument. He's the best, uh, sorry, best middleweight compared to Israel Adesanya right now. It's because he's been racking up wins like this for years. Think about it. At this time, he hadn't even lost yet. He was still on a winning before the Lovato Jr. fight. He was still on a roll. You know, it was just really, this is one of those that really was a big feather in his cap, especially yeah, he now. Was, he was a big deal. Like, I remember being shocked when I found out he was moving to Bellator. I was like, what? This guy? He was just like, he was just right there on the cusp. And yeah, well, at least he got his belt. It was just circumstances, you know, when you look at it with everything with uh, Weidman and Rockhold and Bisping and all that, then you had Romero, Jacare, and you had the people who didn't lose out of, you know, Rom- you know Bisping and Weidman and all that, and then Robert Whitaker's coming up. Gago Musasi just was never going to get that title shot while he was, you know, on that upswing in UFC. You know, even if he had kept winning, the other guys were just always ahead of him in line, and I think that he signed a great deal with Bellator for immediate, you know, immediate opportunity. You jump yeah. right into the title fights. You jump right into the big fights. In UFC, he was still about a year or two away from having to fight killers like with the Whitakers and Romeros before he even gets to fight for a belt. And that's the thing. He'd already had like, what, five or so wins in a row? I think he made the good decision. It just, you know, timing. He did indeed. Just like Rory McDonald. It's like, yeah, he could still compete, but honestly, he got immediate results in Bellator um, just for the way the layout was at the time. Yep. But yeah, that one, I always say it, Natalie, it was an epic night. <laughs> still don't know why more people don't talk about it. It was so freaking good. You got your money's worth. Like, if you have to buy a pay-per-view beforehand, this is the one you do it. Look how many names were on it. They don't do that as much anymore. They don't. You're the first person I know that loves this card so much. <laughs> Seriously, go watch Jose Aldo versus Frank. I, I will. <laughs> I will because it got you to say the F word. And so I'm definitely going to watch it. <laughs> uh, I will say this. It changed business. Because if you remember after all of it, and what was one of the biggest pictures from the night? Conor McGregor standing up by himself in the crowd watching Aldo and Edgar. And it was like, that was the thing, right? Even after as loaded as this card was, the Conor McGregor, all three Conor McGregor events that year outperformed 200. And it just kind of was the benchmark. And I think Dana White, you know, the UFC has kind of addressed this um, non-verbally is that, hey, if you are a big enough name that puts the fans in the seats, we will build it around you. We don't necessarily stack the event because we don't have to. If you are a big star in a big fight, that kind of trumps a big event. Because Connor, I mean, look at the undercard for McGregor DS2. It wasn't as good top to bottom. No. Name wise. Um, but they um they blew the number out, you know, over a million, and it was just it just goes to show what do fans really want to pay for in this day and age. So I think we see the results to this day. And you know, that was just it. Yeah, and I wonder how many people were going to buy UFC 200 before, you know, the, the John Jones DC fallout, or even with when it was still going to be Diaz Connor that that ended up not buying it because those two fights fell away, or one or two, both of those fights fell away. 
I mean, you can't understate the fact that there are people who watch Connor just because he's Connor, not because they like MMA. And I think that's something you can't really quantify all the time. Yeah. But yeah, that was that's just proof. That's why he is the biggest star in the game right now. Indeed. Oh my gosh, I am tired, Natalie. We don't usually <laughs> record the show at this hour. So we have one final segment, and I think it's a good way to round it out. By the way, my one caveat... Next week, we will not pick a 2016 fight card. I noticed we've like <laughs> hung around that year for some yeah, right. reason. <laughs> yeah, well, well, we'll go deeper into the memory bank, guys. We'll have a le- more legit throwback for the next okay. one, for sure. Uh, Natalie, why don't you queue up the next one? Or do you, you know what? No, uh, let me do it because I know I picked something very out of left field for us <laughs> just for the sake of um, some conversation. So for this week in MMA television... I actually picked out someone off the internet. I cheated. I didn't read the instructions. But I really like sometimes to get reminded what the world looks like from the outside of our bubble. And so I picked this video. It is from two YouTubers, Rose and Rosie. Um, If you don't know them, they are a married couple from the UK. They do a lot of that stuff. They don't really do skits. They just talk. And a lot of people think it's funny. But they also play video games, and one of them, they play the UFC 2 video game. The one with Connor and Ronda on the cover. And, well, quite bluntly, they have a very interesting take on what UFC looks like. <laughs> and I'm going to toss it to you, Natalie. Take it away. Yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty funny, actually. You know, any, whenever you have a British accent, anything you say is just automatically funnier than, <laughs> than if you had a, a, a regular old American accent. So, so they're just charming, funny people. What got me giggling a little bit was that I've tried to play UFC 2 and I spent like, so I'm not my, um, I used to play like Nintendo or Super Nintendo and even then I kind of sucked at it, but I'm not really proficient with the PS3 uh, controls or the Xbox controls. So trying to play UFC 2 on my boyfriend's PS or, you know, then boyfriend PS3 was like, took a second. So I had to spend like two hours <laughs> practicing all the controls and like I was in the like the workout room hitting the bag, the heavy bag, forever practicing my punches and my flying knees and all the moves. And then I said, okay, let's go, let's fight. And I couldn't for the life of me win a gosh darn fight in that game. <laughs> I just kept trying and trying and trying. I couldn't execute my moves the way I wanted to. I kept getting just blown out of the water. So I was impressed with how good they did. They were really good. They were winning fights, beating each other up. I guess maybe that's why it was easier because they were just fighting each other. But it still looked good to me. Um, so, yeah, I thought it was fun. They're, they're, uh, they're pretty hilarious. Um, the thing about the fighting games, I'm not going to lie. I remember playing the UFC game. Uh, I will say this. I actually prefer when it's a not a real life like the ESPN Fight Night or UFC or anything like that. For this reason... When you know how dynamic real UFC and MMA is, the video game just doesn't cut it. And so I actually prefer like a Tekken, a Street Fighter, something like that. Mortal Kombat is just way more fun than, you know, knowing you're not able to do all the things that they do in the cage, even if it's a video game. So, yeah, um, I always remember that. I make that comparison for a fighting game if you ever play. Uh, you know, the thing about Rose and Rosie, they have a very interesting way of explaining things. So, um, 
for example, one of them asks, is like, is it real? Like, do they actually fight each other? Is it like pretend like WWE? And I'm like, that's a completely legit question if you've never seen our world before. Or, <laughs> you know, they have a lot of um, funny things. Like, uh, they both play as Paige Van Sant. And, you know, I think she says, it's like, you know why? Because we're on the same page. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> It's just very stupid and charming, but I always remember this video as a breath of fresh air because it kind of reminds you like, look, you know, when you've done it so much, sometimes it's hard to be like, why doesn't somebody else understand it? And I think this is a good reminder of, oh yeah, this is what it looks like when you don't speak our language. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but yeah, so I always like that one. So you guys haven't seen it, just type in Rose and Rosie UFC 2. Uh, I think it was... It's a good few minutes to entertain you, especially in these days where I think that's all we're trying to do until we get different news. Natalie, we've had another another packed week. Let me ask you, as you look forward to next week and what could possibly happen and what we could possibly talk about, what's on your mind? Oh boy, what's on my mind? Yes, everything is on my mind. <laughs> I think that Dana White and the UFC somehow are going to get a fight in Florida. I know that sounds kooky because Disney and ESPN don't want it, don't want them to do any fights at all, but I think they're going to do it because this will be with the blessing of the governor, not, you know, not behind the back, I guess, of the California governor. It'll be with the blessing of the Florida governor. So I think we're going to get some news about that. I mean, I'm ready to see some fights. I don't know if the world is ready to have some fights. <laughs> and I'll just leave it at that. Um, that's the only nice way I could really put it without going into another segment. But yeah, look, like I said, I, I'm ready. I think a lot of people, um, I know for myself, it's technically been officially one month where, you know, business shut down and we've been in quarantine. And I know, you know, I know we don't talk about it. I like to... As I say, I'd like us to be positive. I think that if you really wanted some, you know, more serious stuff, there's other shows you listen to. But I really hope you guys are doing well. I know for myself, we get on the air. And for me, it's good. It's a good thing to look forward to, talk about, get our mind off the present by, you know, just going back and telling some nice stories like we would if we were, you know, business as usual and everything's rolling. So... For me, I just hope everyone's well. If you listen to the show, I hope that it's getting you out of your head a little bit um, because I know it does that for me. And yeah, just best wishes. I know it's rough, but one day at a time, guys, we're all in it together. Indeed. Well, Natalie, where can fans find you on social media to keep the conversation I'll be, uh, rolling? creeping on Twitter at NatalieZamudio underscore and, uh, and lurking on Instagram at Zamudiorama. Guys, you can find me all the time at Double G on TV. Just spell out the word double, and we'll be back next week.